0: You're listening to a Sunday morning message by Authentic Church. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Um, At the moment at work, I'm a project managing the delivery of a regulatory project. Um, And this week, I was really happy that I got one bit of it done. I was really thrilled. But because it's a regulatory project, you then have something called the compliance team who follow on and kind of scrutinise what it is you've done. And um, I was really thrilled, and they came back with all of this feedback. And what they were looking for was evidence. So the thing I delivered, I was quite pleased about They were saying, well, how did you make that decision? How did you reach that decision? Who was involved? So that if the Financial Conduct Authority, which ultimately governs our financial institutions, comes along and says, why did you do that? You can show your workings out. Now, the reason I share that is because today my sermon is going to be a bit like that. I'm going to show you my workings out. Um, because I grappled with this week's topic. It's, I, I grappled with this week's topic. So I'm going to kind of share with you some of my grapplings. Well, today is the first in a mini-series of three messages. And these three messages all link to a verse from Romans 1513, which is this. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me read that again. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know about you, but I want this. I want that verse. And I want that verse for you. And I want that verse for my friends and family who don't know the God of hope. And I think right now the world we live in needs hope and peace and joy. So this is our mini-series over the next three Sundays, but not next Sunday, as Tammy said, because we're not here. So today, I'm looking at hope. Now, hope is central, is a central theme in Christianity, if you like. It's part of the very fabric. Historically, it's one of three theological virtues. Hope, faith, and love. Hope focuses on the future to something we want to possess, if our future is secured and satisfied by God, then like Paul, we can be content in every and any situation. If it isn't, then we risk a life of, ex- of excessive anxiety, worry and stress. Therefore, understanding biblical hope is key to a life of contentment. So what's so important about hope anyway? John Marcoma, speaking in a podcast in April 2020, says this. All humans, religious or not, are painfully hope-based creatures. Unlike animals, survival is not enough for us. We need hope that things will get better. He continues... Hope must have an object. We must have something or somebody to put our hope in. Be that God or our career or our family or friends. And he goes on with a long list of things that we might put our hope in and what the object of our hope is. So as we were prepared, as I was preparing for this, I was thinking, well, what is it that I'm hoping for? What are the objects of my hope? And what I've learned as I've gone through this process this week, working this out, is that, well, my idea of hope was a bit skewed. What I thought was hope in God, I kind of discovered kind of wasn't quite right. So let me explain. John Piper, an eminent American theologian, Describe three ways in which we use and express and live out hope. First one is hope is the desire for something good in the future. And he gives some examples. He says this The children might say, I hope daddy gets home early tonight so we can play football after supper before his meeting. In other words, they desire for him to get home early so they can experience this good thing, namely, playing together after supper. So their hope is a desire for something good in the future. The second thing he says, the the example he gives, is that hope is a good thing in the future that we are desiring. this, This becomes clearer. He says our hope is that Jim will arrive safely. In other words, Jim's safe arrival is the object of our hope. And lastly, he says this, hope is the reason why our hope might come to pass. A good tailwind is our only hope of arriving on time. In other words, the tailwind is the reason why we may in fact achieve the future good we we desire. It's our only hope. But in these scenarios, hope risks becoming a wish Its achievement can be in the strength of the person's desire. If I just hope harder, that thing might happen. If I wish more. However, Piper says, all three of these uses are found in the Bible. But the most important feature of biblical hope is not present in any of these ordinary uses of the word hope. In fact, he continues, the distinctive meaning of hope in Scripture is almost the opposite of our daily ordinary usage. And this was the bit that challenged me. He says, typically, when we use the word hope, we're expressing uncertainty rather than certainty. I hope daddy gets home means I don't hope, have any certainty that daddy will I only desire that he does. Our hope is that Jim will arrive safely means we don't know if he will or not, but that is our desire. A good tailwind is our only hope of arriving on time, means that a good tailwind would bring us to our desire goal, but we can't be sure we will get one. Ordinarily, when we express hope, are we actually expressing uncertainty? And this got me thinking, is this me? Well, let's show some of my working out. Tammy, if you could move to slide one. You can see I'm a project manager. It's got a flow diagram on the board. So what am I hoping in right now? Well, I'm hoping in a specific outcome. I'm hoping in a specific outcome. And that if... If it happens, life will be better. Life will be better. And I hope God makes that outcome happen. Now that all sounds really good. That sounds quite normal, but there's a risk. Second slide. What happens when my hope is deferred? when my outcome does not happen there's a risk here that I then become despondent and disappointed I become disillusioned and who am I disappointed and disillusioned in I'm disappointed and disillusioned in God because my hope was that God would make my outcome happen and that's where it then becomes dangerous did you like I was trying to do some alliteration I actually had to look that up so Despondent, disappointed leads to disillusionment and that can be dangerous because of what happens after disillusionment, next slide please, disillusionment turns to doubt, doubt. Does God care? Does God love me? that thing I was hoping for, the thing that I thought you, God, were going to make happen because if it happened, my life would be so much better. It hasn't happened. And suddenly, I lose hope. And guess what? At the end of the day, then actually, life is worse than it was at the beginning. And I've been there. And if I'm being brutally honest with you this morning, part of me is there today. So what has my hope been in? Thank you. It's my hope, my expectation is that I will have a pain-free, trouble-free, worry-free, stress-free life. That because I'm a Christian, because I I tithe and I pray and I do all of those things everything will be all right but is this a hope or is this a wish am i straying into disillusionment jesus is quoted in john 16 as saying in this world you will have trouble the writers of the epistles often say that we need to share in the sufferings of christ so, I can immediately see that if I'm expecting a life free of pain and suffering, then that doesn't align with the God of the Bible. That doesn't align with Scripture. However, part of my growing up, part of my discipleship, is I've grown up in part, if you like, the, the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. And the, 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 how that effectively works out, that if I give enough, if I pray enough, if I believe enough, if I do enough, then I can expect all three of those things, health, wealth and prosperity. But is that more wishful thinking than faithful living? That view only works if life is good and it's a challenge when it isn't. And doubt and self-doubt creeps in. Well, maybe I'm not giving enough or praying enough or believing enough or doing enough. And it becomes a vicious cycle. So if that isn't what biblical hope is, what is it? Biblical hope is the confident expectation of what God has promised. And its strength is in his faithfulness. The Greek word used in Romans 15, 13 is elpis, to anticipate usually with pleasure. And if you apply that to Christianity, it could say something like joyful and confident expectation of eternal salvation. So let's apply that to some real-world examples. I'm going back to John Markoma, He says, hope, our hope, is in the return of Jesus Christ to make all things new. Our hope is in Jesus' presence with us in our lives when we have troubles. When Jesus said earlier, in this world you will have troubles, the next line in that verse says, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus' last words before his ascension to heaven were, I am with you always. If you look at the scenario where Jesus calmed the storm for the disciples, Jesus calmed the disciples in the storm before he calmed the storm. Our hope is that God Will use our troubles, big or small, to form us into people like Jesus. Romans eight twenty eight says, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. Romans five, we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character produces hope. So often, our pain and suffering now, John Mark Homer says, is a kind of training for our joy and freedom. So if this is hope, what has happened to it? How have we lost this sense of a biblical hope? I like this bit from John Marcoma. He says, instead of hoping in God's future, we make plans for our own future. In our secular society, planning has taken over the role of hoping. Now, it's not wrong to make plans. They all have a place. But planning, John Mark Omer says, is an attempt to control our future based on prediction. Hoping, in the Christian sense, is the act of surrender to God's future. Based on a deep confidence in his love and his wisdom and his involvement in our life, in our church and in our world. It's hard to have hope in a culture of planning. But we go back to my diagram. Not literally. We end up living in disappointment when our plans don't work. But disappointment, and this gets a bit psychological here, disappointment can be our friend Disappointment is an emotional response that our hope was misplaced. That our hope was misplaced onto the wrong object. But this is where I'm in trouble. I'm a bit of a control freak. I am getting better. I'm an ENTJ on the Myers-Briggs personality type test, sometimes referred to as a commander. To help you put some context in that, other ENTJs are Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, Margaret Thatcher, Gordon Ramsay, Jose Mourinho, Simon Cowell, Napoleon Bonaparte and Julius Caesar. There's a bit of a thread running through those. And ENTJs only make up 1.8% of the population, which is probably just as well. ENTJs are known to be planners. Now, I know we're not alone. Many people like to make plans. So whether you're a wishful thinker or an over-planner like me, what practical things can I do to start developing biblical hope? Number one, review what the objects of your current hopes are when you think about hope when you think about what you are hoping for what is that object what is that outcome that your hope is placed on is it on god is it on his plan for your life is it on his will or is it simply a desire that life gets better And there's nothing wrong in that. But until that thing happens, the danger is you won't have peace. You won't have joy. You won't have contentment. Paul says, in all things, in all circumstances, I've learned to be content. If our hope is in anything other than God then there's a danger we risk disappointment. We need to focus and fix our eyes on Jesus and God's promises of being with us in the present and seek our contentment in him. The second thing is we need to surrender to God's will and outcome. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego were put in a blazing furnace because they would not stop worshipping God. But they were confident and had hope that God would deliver them. But this is the rub. They expressed beautiful surrender to God's will by saying, but even if he does not, even if he did not rescue them from the fire, their hope was in him in their future and eternal life with him. That demonstrates such hope. The Lord's Prayer says, Thy will be done. Psalm 16 verse 5 says, My future is in your hands. Surrendering to God's will and outcome is how we develop biblical hope. And lastly, number three, if we look again at Romans fifteen thirteen, it starts by saying, may the God of hope. Our hope needs to be in God himself, not in the circumstances or outcomes in which we think life will be better. Psalm 43, 5 says, why my soul are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. For I will yet praise him, my saviour and my God. Lamentations 3. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I will hope in him. Psalm 130. Put your hope in the Lord. For with the Lord is unfailing love and with him is full redemption. 2 Corinthians 1. He delivers us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us. Again, we need to put our God in hope. The God of hope. And I conclude today by simply saying, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.